0: When we acknowledge that God is the author of the scriptures, we are referring not only to the very words themselves, but also to the structure and genre of the scriptures, a subject which Kevin will take up more in details beginning next week during the Sunday School Hour. But we certainly notice as we look in the Bible and various places that there's a lot of repetition, a lot of repeating of the same ideas and the same concepts. We see it in creation, as we see the seasons turning round year by year, as we see the week divided into a seven-day period for stopping, ceasing work and worship, and a certain pattern emerges. We've seen the patterns emerge in the study of 1 John as well, where over and over again, God through John the Holy Spirit, through John the writer, have brought us back to the same subjects, three in particular tests of what is referred to in the first chapter as the fellowship, tests that have to do with integrity regarding God's word, love and service regarding one another, and truth and orthodoxy regarding theology and the doctrines of the the faith. Now, I hope you don't find this insulting, that he would be so repetitive there must be a reason for it. Let me make a suggestion. We have no trouble, I suppose, most of us anyway, remembering our multiplication tables from school. Seven times six, 42. Eight times seven, 56, yeah. <laughs> Maybe we do have trouble remembering. Nine times seven, 63, et cetera. We can call that to mind very quickly. When we were young, we also learned the contours of what it is to love, to serve other people. But that doesn't come to mind so quickly. Something within us is very deeply broken by sin. And whereas we can remember maybe even also the chemical compound table, as well as our multiplication tables, we have a much more difficult time remembering the very basic foundational things of the scriptures. This points to a deep brokenness in our lives that needs to be regularly repaired. Hence the idea of one day in seven being set aside for worship. It's not as if today we heard for the first time, at least not most of us, the gospel of Jesus Christ, but he says we need to hear it again. We need to come together on a regular basis to hear it again and again, not because our minds are clogged with uh, inability to comprehend, but because our lives are deeply broken by sin. And we need to hear again the marvelous truth of God's love for us and our compassion to be expressed to one another. And so over and over again in chapters 2 and 3 and now into chapter 4, we come back to the same subjects, the same basic principles which we need to hear and to apply once again. We pick up the story this week in verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. But if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. That's God's word. Let's bow together. O Lord, drive into the deep recesses of our heart and mind these matchless truths that you have given to us again and again in the scriptures, and again and again we have ignored our chosen Not to obey. We ask that you would use these moments again to help us to see the beauty of your love for us and the high calling you give us to care for one another. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Now it doesn't appear in the context of John's remarks that the threat that they are facing is that they don't love one another. That was a problem in other churches and in other letters that are found in the New Testament. It seems that the thread here was a false teaching. Nevertheless, this concept of love is repeated again and again and woven all throughout the Bible. In this letter here, the first two times through the list of three, the love is the second one. Now he starts over again on his third list through and puts it first. Not because there seemed to be a lot of disruption, let me say. There wasn't a lot of fighting or or schism threatening the people he was writing to. In fact, he he writes to them with great affection, dear friends, dear brothers. But he wants them to see one of the central truths of the Bible, and we look at it now. First of all, love one another. Verse 7, let us love one another. I remember hearing this first in Bible school when I was a little child. I heard it in my home to some extent, but in the church setting, it was the first time that I ever heard it was, it was as a child. And I remember it because it was an early message, but I know I failed to apply it so many times. It's so simple. Some portions of the scripture are obscure, but this isn't one of them. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God why is my first question why would he enjoin this upon us repeatedly why would the first sin as we saw this week in Bible school be that Cain killed his brother failed to love him took his life ambushed him and murdered him I mean they were brothers there wasn't that much to fight about There must be something deep within us that is so broken that unless we give attention to these things, we too shall murder. If not with weapon, then with word. If not with actual assassination, then with assassination of character. Dear friends, let us love one another. Why is this the duty of the Christian? Let me suggest some reasons. First of all, God has revealed himself in the sacrificial love of his son. Verse 9. This is how God showed his love for us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. He extended himself. He went first. He gave. He offered. He blessed. We do it because he started it. We love because he first loved us, we read elsewhere. And the same idea here. This is how God showed his love for us. He sent us. He sent, the, he sent his one and only son into the world. This, verse 10, is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So we are called upon to serve and sacrifice for others because he did first. If you know God, you know that he went first. If you know him, you know that his character is awash in grace and mercy and patience and kindness. Second bullet there, love is part of God's eternal nature and his essence. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. It's not something that we must manufacture ourselves or well up in our hearts for ourselves. For everyone who loves has been born of God. And whoever loves does not, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. There's something of his essence here. Everything he does is loving. He punishes us graciously and with mercy. He meets out his justice overflowing with love. His truth, though it seems hard to us, his providence, though we have trouble understanding it, is saturated with affection for his people. This is very difficult for us to grasp because we want to judge things with our own eyes and our own situation and our own circumstance. That's normal for children. But what he's trying to do with his readers is bring them beyond childhood, bring them beyond elementary school to something bigger and higher. When we're young, we choose our friends based on where they live, what they, that we have the same interests, maybe even the same gender, the same age in school. And so we learn to pick people who are like us or who we like naturally. But that isn't what God does. He hasn't selected anyone on the basis of their likableness. for we're all sinners. More than that, disobedient, rebellious, petulant children. So he doesn't pick his friends like we do. And he has caused his son to come and hang out with us, not because we liked him. Oh, he was attractive, but he was rejected in the midst of the attraction, pushed away. So the love had to continue through the rejection, through the rebellion, through the disobedience, through the cross, through the resurrection. It continued. We love because he first loved us. He not only went first, but he continues to be persistent in it. Why is it that reciprocal love is the duty of Christians? Because, thirdly, it is a sign of Christian authenticity. Verse 8, whoever does not love does not know God. Earlier he says, if you don't love, then you're a liar. If you say that you are a Christian, you say you're a follower of God, and you're not known by sacrificial service toward others, then you're lying. There's something essential here, not only to God's character, but to the character he imparts to us by the Holy Spirit when we become believers. There's something very fundamental and foundational about this concept, and we reject it. We want to love those who will love us back. We want to love those who have already loved us, like our parents or or our friend who took an interest in us. We want to love when we are loved and if we are loved. But the scriptures say, let us just love one another. Our love derives from his love for us, and our love is a response to it. So we have this duty repeated over and over and over again. Not a duty that he has not carried out to a marvelous extent and fully. For his grace and mercy and patience and forbearance and sacrifice are without measure. He is so good to us that we don't even see the half of it. Even right now, He is tenderly affectionate toward your welfare. He's not indifferent to you, as you may feel others are indifferent to you. He has an affection and a focus and an interest in you that is truly remarkable, not only for its endurance, but also for its effect. So that right now, within your body and mind are all of these microbiological activities. He's taking care of them. He's working them out. He's bringing to pass his purposes in our lives. He's giving us his strength to face trials and temptations and difficulties that you are facing right now. He's sending you the support you need to bear up under what you are facing, to stand against the devil when he tempts you. He is helping you in a way that no other person, not even a spouse, can always be there. And so when he says that we ought to love back, he's simply saying, turn me loose. Turn me loose. Now how did he express his love? Let's hear it again. By sending his son, verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. This is what he wants you to think about When you think about the mercy and grace and favor that you owe others, this is how God showed his love for us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. How did he express his love? There was no greater gift than his son. Now, that presents a little bit of tension for us because we'd rather have more money than more Jesus, right? We'd rather have a longer life or more the stuff we want to have when we want it. But he said, I'm going to show you the highest expression of my love by giving of my only son for you. That's yours, and that is what you really need. More than money, more than friends, more than health, more than fame, more than favor. What you really need is what I've given you. You don't see it yet. Certainly as a child we have trouble seeing it. As we get older we have trouble seeing it because there are so many other claims upon our time. But I've given you already what you already need, he says. And it's clear, verse 9, is just as clear as it can be. This is how God showed his love among us. He didn't make us all rich. He didn't make us all all living to be 150 years old. Or He didn't make us all trouble-free. But he did give us this one gift that we all share. And that is, he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live. That we would have life through him. That we would be born again and live in him. And he would live in us by his Holy Spirit. And so that's the first part. But the second part is... This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Keep reading, in other words. Verse 9 says he loved us by giving us his one and only son. Verse 10, he gave him, not just giving him, as you might say, well, here, here's somebody else to know, but he said, here is someone who is going to materially help you. Well, again, you say, I, I, if you wanted to materially help me, I could have used some money some time, some friends, some fame. That would have really helped me. Oh, no. There again, you're listening to your own heart instead of the scriptures, and it shows and reflects the deep brokenness of it to say, what I really need is more money, more time, more friends, more fame, more success. God says, no, you don't. What you really need is a Savior. What you really need is an atoning sacrifice for your sins. That's what you really need. And not just when you die. See, that's a great, great benefit, of course. When we pass from this world into the next, we get the benefit of Christ's death and resurrection, but now we begin to enjoy and reflect upon the idea that he gave his only son for me. Now, you, none of you would willingly give up a spouse or a child or a parent. None. All of us would resist that, right? But he willingly gave to a people who not only didn't ask, but who didn't keep him. He came to his own, and his own received him not. There's great wisdom in that. But all we think about is the next meal, the next, the next fun thing, the next vacation, the next thing that we look forward to, the next gift. He sent his son, no greater gift was possible. He sent his son to die for us, and he sent his son to die for undeserving Sinners. We needed a sacrifice, an atoning sacrifice for our sins. We give gifts to people that we like or that we feel some obligation to give to. He had no obligation and there was nothing attractive about us that would have called for such an amazing gift, an expression of grace. But there it is. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. If that's not the most important thing to you, then, John says, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. If your family's more important, if your career's more important if your self worth sense of self worth and success is more important then you're getting the cart before the horse this is the supreme gift and it means that we needed it it means that without it we were lost without it we were, we're beyond rescue beyond help beyond hope so he this is this is a love that sees need and meets it extends itself to go there and to take our place to get what we deserved so that we could get what he deserved. That's grace. That's mercy. And we are called upon at least one day in seven to be reminded of that because otherwise we will value far more money, friends, stuff, health longevity fame we will love those things too much and they will kill us none of those things can save us if you get sick your spouse and your parents will not be able to help you your your car your house your wealth your career nothing will be able to touch it if you need to be forgiven ask your car If you need to be forgiven, ask the teller at the bank. They can't forgive you. Those things are dead. They're lifeless. They're just like the stone, wooden idols of the Old Testament times. They have no life. And yet we spend so much time loving them. So we come back again. Love one another. His love in us has a marvelous effect. If this is the only reason to do it, if you don't want to take the command of the Scripture and the imperative that we find there, if you don't want to find the example of Christ, something that moves your heart and allows you to submit to Him, then take it for this reason. His love has a marvelous, marvelous effect. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, then God lives in us. And his love is made complete in us. So let's take for a moment, just for the sake of argument, let's take the cross off the table. Let's take eternal life off the table. Let's take all the benefits of walking with God in the future off the table. Let's talk just about right now. Just about the here and now in this life. Let's not think for a moment now, artificially, but let's try to set it aside. There is no future, there is no heaven, there is no life to come. Even if there isn't, no one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God will live in us, and his love will be made complete in us. So there is something marvelously enriching that we have in this life, if we love him back. And if we sacrifice and serve one another, for and serve one another. No one has seen or can see God yet. That day is coming. But now, in the meantime, we can have the experience of him living in us and his love being made somehow complete in us. second bullet there in the last point. The unseen God reveals himself not only in the gift of his son, but also in his people. If and when they love each other, our love for one another is evidence of his indwelling presence. Verse 13 into next week. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. So the spirit magnifies in our hearts the work of God. It may have only started as a mustard seed, but he is growing within you. If you are a Christian and you have asked Christ to be your Savior, then he has come to live within you and is maturing and growing you day by day and hour by hour and and moment by moment. And his love is made complete in you. So we've heard it again. What does it mean? Why should we love one another? Because God is love and loving in all he does. And if we want to be like him, then then we can't avoid this. God has loved us in Christ and has shed abroad in our heart a new work of the Holy Spirit to give us an ability to love others. And if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. I wish I knew all that that meant. But one thing it does mean is that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. There's a consummation and completion that's going on within you. He is working inside of you to will and to do both according to his good pleasure. He is working inside of you to make you new, to transform you, to complete an act that he began when you first loved him back. And it's a marvelous thing. His love is being made complete in you. That alone is a good reason to be a Christian. To have somebody working within my heart, to have somebody really make a difference in my life, to know and feel that I'm alive on the inside, that I'm not just what I am on the outside and what appears to the world, but that I have something new within me, something alive, something that's changing me. How rewarding and rich is that? So what do I do? How can I express this love to others that's so clearly required? Brothers, dear friends, let us love one another. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus said. Look for peace. Don't throw flame, don't throw fuel on the fire. Defuse the situation. Look for an, a common ground of reconciliation. It's not always a me against you or them against us. Psalm 34:14, "Seek peace and pursue it. Go after it. Go after it. Be aggressive. Paul writes this way, "Oh no man, anything except a debt of love. Go after it. You owe them, each other, something, because you have been given so very much. Within your family, within your workplace, within your relationships in the church, there are opportunities to seek peace and to pursue it. And remember that this is costly. We didn't say much about this on the way through. Of course, we should have. Uh, Verse 9, this is how God showed his love for us. He sent his one and only son. Love is costly. It's not convenient. We can love people that are like us, people that we have to, people that we are affiliated with in some common affinity, but to love one another in the church means that we bump up with people all the time who seem just a little odd. They're different than I am. If you come to church seeking others like you, you will always be disappointed because people are different ages, different interests, different expressions of their faith. You will always be, if, if you are looking for affirmation of yourself when you come to this body, you will always be disappointed. And you will say, there are a lot of people around here that I don't know. There are a lot of people around here that aren't like me. Yes. Jew and Gentile. Slave and free. Male and female. All of them. We have to change the way we think about organizational groups. We are not in high school where we hang out just with our friends. We are not in elementary school just looking around for people that are like us. We are called to love each other, all of us loving each other, despite the differences that divide other people. This is not high school. This is the church. And the church is made up of people who are qualified, not because they dress like you, or talk like you, or think like you, they're qualified because of the cross. And they got in because of the cross. And so you're going to have to meet some people who seem strange and different, not the kind of people you'd hang out with ordinarily, but you have been given an extraordinary life. Surely you can cross a barrier or two of age, or education, or background to say, how are you doing? What's up with you? How can I help? This is what God has called us to. It is a high calling. Suppose you say now in closing, suppose you say, well, I'm just not interested. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm living my life. I want to live without all this extra effort. I don't have any extra effort anyway. If so, you'll miss So much riches and fullness and extravagance in your life. You will miss the work of God and all of his fullness that he has for you. You will you will shut off a marvelous flow that's available to you. Don't do that. Don't say you're too busy to care for the brethren. Don't say they're too odd for me to get to know them don't say anything except yes Lord let me love my brothers and sisters and we know that if nothing else happens he'll be pleased because nothing escapes his notice let us pray well Lord nothing new here today same old love one another John has repeated it again and again. And we have ignored it again and again. Open our eyes, we pray, to kindnesses expressed toward others, toward a way of service and sacrifice and gentleness of spirit. Help us to seek peace and promote it. Help us to love one another. For you are love, and you have loved us. And you have given us a new nature and a new ability. If, however, there are some here today who have not taken Christ as their Savior and have not felt this love as fully as they might, we pray that you would indeed open their hearts and their minds to embracing the Lord Jesus Christ and to knowing a love that they've never known before. And someone who will come in And never leave them or forsake them. And someone who wants to bring to completion a work that he is beginning even now. And he will use them in building his kingdom, even the least of us. And so we thank you again for reminding us what we've forgotten. Because we think mostly about ourselves. And unless we have your help, Lord, it will always be that way. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.